1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc. To find out how you can become an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron, check out the donate page of our website, issuesetc.org. Just look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation, Scripture, Faith, Grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc., and you. If you attend an historical, authentic Christian church that still practices a Christian form of worship on Sunday morning, you're familiar with that text. Psalm 51 usually serves as the offertory, and uh, it is kind of the quintessential of penitential psalms, and it's also one of the ones that we really know the most about in terms of the circumstances of its authorship. From David, at a very particular time in his life, we know why he's saying, what he's saying. Pastor Todd Peppercorn joins us for part four of our seven-part weekly series on the penitential psalms. Today, Psalm 51. He's pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and author of the book, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. Todd, welcome back. Thanks. We've only got about two minutes before we need to take a break. Why should I confess my sins? God knows everything. He already knows what I've done. Well, the short answer to that is you certainly don't confess your sins for God's sake. God knows them. So that's not the, that's not the issue. Uh, confession and absolution, confession and forgiveness, are, are really all about you, not in, a, uh, not in a narcissistic or selfish way, but rather that God wants, God wants you to confess your sins so that you can be rid of them. He wants, he wants you to confess your sins so that he can take them into himself. And that's what we're really going to see in this story of David and the story of Psalm 51. Um, we can probably recount at least a little bit of that before the break. Really, it starts in 2 Samuel 11, where David is the king. He is on top of the world. And it begins with David looking out over his kingdom in the springtime when kings go off to war to defend their lands, to defend their people, to take care of them, and he's sitting at home. And while he is sitting at home, he is the highest place in the land. Uh, He looks down, and lo and behold, he sees 
Bathsheba. Let's take a break right there when we come back, because things are not uh, unfolding well for David already. First, he is apparently shirking some of his kingly duties with regard to the defense of his people. He's a peeping Tom, and he goes beyond that, of course. If you had a kind of plaster saints view of these Old Testament figures, David shatters that into pieces. He commits not just one, but many manifold sins. And in the end, he confesses in Psalm 51. That's our subject for part four of our seven-part weekly series on the penitential Psalms with Pastor Todd Peppercorn. Hello, this is Pastor Kevin Golden of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village Lutheran are proud to be part of the Issues Etc. 300, sharing in their Christ-centered, cross-focused proclamation of the gospel. If you find yourself in St. Louis, join us on Sundays at 815 and 1045 for the Divine Service, 930 for Bible study and Sunday school, as we receive Christ's gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Or visit us on the web at www.villagelutheranchurch.org. How are sinners declared righteous before a holy God? Where can we find the presence of God today? How can I discover God's will for my daily life? You'll find answers to these questions in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, The Spirituality of the Cross. Check it out at issuesetc.org, or you can purchase The Spirituality of the Cross by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. The Spirituality of the Cross by Dr. Gene Edward V. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc., Spotlight on another pro-life leader. This is a special commentary from the Susan B. Anthony List, named for the suffragette who was proudly pro-life. Jane Norton, currently Lieutenant Governor of Colorado, has compiled a strong pro-life record during her time in public office, both as Lieutenant Governor and as Executive Director of the state's health department. Her achievements include cutting off state funding for Planned Parenthood in Colorado and leading the fight to streamline Colorado's adoption process, improving the lives of families across the state by making it easier for residents of Colorado to adopt. Jane Norton is a pro-life champion, and like others around the country, she's making a difference. This is Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of the Susan B. Anthony List. For more about our work to mobilize and advance pro-life women in politics, visit our website at sba-list.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's Thursday afternoon, March the 11th. We're into part four of our seven-part weekly series on the penitential psalms, the psalms of confession of sins. Psalm 51, the big one is our subject today. Pastor Todd Peppercorn is our guest, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, author of the book, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. Questions or comments from you are welcome. one 877 623 myie 877-623-6943. Talk back at org or Twitter us at etc. You were telling us the story. David is at home when he should be away. He's at the peak of his career and the peak of his palace, and he looks down and sees Bathsheba, and uh, she isn't wearing anything. Pick it up where you left off. Sure. She is, um, Bathsheba is bathing on the on the roof of her house. 
her husband Uriah the Hittite is away at war with um, with David's kingdom. So Uriah is doing his job while David is not. David, being the king, sends for her and takes her, and he lays with her in verse four, as the text says in Second Samuel eleven. Then she uh, she conceives because that's the way those things work, and tells David she is pregnant. David then goes on, he sends for Uriah, he tries to get Uriah to go and sleep with his wife so that this sin may be covered up and everyone can assume that the child is Uriah's. Uriah won't do it because he is a good soldier and the ark and all of the king's army is sitting in tents and he doesn't believe it's right for him to go and sit in his own and lay in his own bed. David even tries to get Uriah drunk and then convince him to do it, Uriah still won't do it. Even drunk, Uriah is being faithful and good when David is not. So then David resorts to stronger measures to try and hide, to try and cover up his own sin. He then sends Uriah back to the front lines and tells his general Joab that he should that he should put Uriah in the heat of the battle. And when things are just about at their worst, he should withdraw and leave Uriah to be killed. And lo and behold, that is exactly what happens. Uriah the Hittite is killed. Joab comes back, tells David what happens. And then David takes Bathsheba to be his own wife. And everything looks like it has worked just fine. Uh, David's sin is covered, Uriah is dead, Bathsheba is now his wife, and in the eyes of all the people, David is a good and a wonderful, kind king who has taken care of this poor soldier's wife. But the thing displeased the Lord. And that's where Nathan comes in, and that's really where our psalm comes in for today. So Nathan, Nathan is kind of the court prophet. He's the, uh, he's the guy that is there to advise the king, and he's there to take care of David, to minister to him. Now he has a, uh, an unenviable task today. So he goes to minister to David, first of all with the law and then with the gospel. And he does it by telling David a story. He tells him the story of uh, two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich one has everything that he could want, flocks and herds and all that he would need. The poor man has nothing but one little ewe lamb. And he took care of this ewe lamb as if it were his own child. It drank from his cup, slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. So a traveler comes to see this rich man, and the rich man, rather than taking from his many flocks and herds, comes and takes the poor man's lamb, slaughters it, and then feeds it to the traveler. Now, David, who doesn't know he's being set up yet, David's anger is kindled against the man. And he says to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then, we're in Second Samuel 12, verse 7. Then Nathan says to David uh, what I think are probably the most pointed law words in all the scriptures. He says, Ata haish, you are the man. In other words, 
he just told the story, but the story wasn't about some rich guy and a and a poor man and a lamb. The story was about David and Bathsheba and Uriah. So then Nathan goes on and describes how how David has done this and how God had been merciful to him, kind to him, and he had spurned God's love and God's mercy toward him by doing this vile thing. And then we have uh, what I think is the maybe the most significant part of this. Then we get to the point where Psalm 51 comes in. Um, at this at this point, Nathan has Nathan has spoken the law. He said, "These are the consequences. Your your kingdom is going to be a is going to be a wreck. The child that is born to Bathsheba is going to is going to die, and all of these things are going to happen because of his evil." And that is where Psalm 51 comes in, verse 13. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So that's, the, that's kind of the short context for our psalm. And that's where we get so many of these, uh, uh, so, many, so much of the language from Psalm 51, which we know. Um, many of us pray this psalm almost every week. Create in me a clean heart, O God, or renew a right spirit within me. Um, but before we get to that, let's look at verse 4 in Psalm 51. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because of your first question, uh, why should I care about confessing God already knows? Well, the answer is, first of all, that all sin, even David's sin against your against Uriah, David's sin against Bathsheba, against his kingdom, all sin is ultimately sin against God. Um, and that's really important when we recognize confession, is that God is always involved when it comes to our own sinfulness, because it all goes against him finally, and that also means that he is the one that ultimately has to forgive it if it's going to be forgiven. So that's where that's where David comes in with this. David comes in as I have sinned against the Lord, and it, that's um, that's the key. This why uh, Nathan describes in, he describes sin in in a lot of ways, but he says ultimately to David, "You have thus despised the Lord before all the people." Yeah, that's exact. That's exactly right, and. And our our behavior. I mean, this is this is really, uh, I think, some interesting interesting commentary on the two tables of the law. Um, it it is very very common, I think, for us to describe the two tables of the law as first three commandments are sin against God, second three commandments are sin against our neighbor, and and that's I suppose that's that's true in some respects. Um, it's very obvious to see the connection to God in the first three commandments. It's very obvious to see the connection to our neighbor in the second table. But really, even the second table, when we talk about um, about murder, the fifth commandment, what this is saying is, I am God to kill and make alive. I am the one who can decide these things over life and death, not God. And so I'm going to take this life. Um, when I when I sin against the sixth commandment, and I am not faithful to my wife, I'm not faithful to the way that God has made me as a, as as a man or as man and wife. What I'm saying is, I am God, 
and I am the one that can decide how I am made and how I am going to treat other people. And so that's really what David's doing in Second Samuel 11, is he is acting as if God, taking, taking what he wants and be darned with the consequences. That's what sin does. It turns us in on, him, in on ourselves and makes us into God. And that's what Nathan does here, is Nathan shows David that he is acting as if he is God by his, by his utterly selfish behavior. But this is not a God of mercy that David is acting like. This is, this is not the God whose image David is made in, Genesis 126. This is, this is some other God. This is some sick God that only, that only acts out of his own selfish, only out of his own selfish nature. And David, David shows, or Nathan shows this to David, and that's what, um, and that's what really drives it home to David is, I'm acting like God, and this is no God that I want to have any part of. He begins by saying, "Have mercy on me, O God," uh, and then two phrases: "According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy." He's asking God to be mercy for a reason. With one minute before our break, what's that reason? Well, mercy is undeserved love. That's and it is the essence of God's of God's nature. God's glory is shown in mercy as we prayed last Sunday in church. And so what David is asking is that God would not be like him in essence that that God would not be selfish, that he would not take what he wants, that he would not give David what he deserves, but rather that he would that he would act wholly different than David does by his own nature, which is this, this sick, selfish way. He is, a, he is asking God to be God and to show him mercy, to forgive him, when he clearly does not deserve it. And that's, I think that's what's so beautiful about Psalm 51, is that it holds up this, this language, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Um, it holds up that, that David has recognized his sin-sick nature, and that he is asking God to be God and to cleanse him and to fix it as only he can do. Pastor Todd Peppercorn is our guest, part four of our seven-part weekly series on the Penitential Psalms. We're looking at Psalm 51 today. When we come back, we'll talk about, well, our original sin versus our actual sins. Stay tuned. Will your church be one of the Issues Etc. 300? Hi, this is Todd Wilkin. We're looking for 300 congregations to pledge $1,000 to Issues Etc. in their budgets. To find out more about the Issues Etc. 300, click the support page of our website, issuesetc.org. You'll even find a one-page informational flyer. Please consider including Issues Etc. in your church's mission or advertising budget. The Issues Etc. 300. Here's a great resource for Sunday school teachers. Mondays, we interview Deaconess Pam Nielsen of Concordia Publishing House about the upcoming Growing in Christ Sunday School lesson. You'll find these interviews under the Listen on Demand page of our website, issuesetc.org. Listen to a 20-minute interview with Pam Nielsen, and you'll be prepared to teach Sunday school this weekend, issuesetc.org. Click Listen on Demand and look for Teaching a Sunday School Lesson with Deaconess Pam Nielsen. The cross is always relevant. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
Are you looking for a Christ-centered, cross-focused church? Check out the Find a Church page at our website, issuesetc.org. Are you tired of worship that's more about self-help than the Savior, the Christian rather than the Christ, and Christ in you instead of Christ for you? It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. Find a church near you, issuesetc.org, and click Find a Church. Have you heard of the CLCC? In Hosea 4, we see, My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. The Confessional Lutherans for Christ's Commission can help educate Lutherans on being Lutheran. We treasure our Lutheran beliefs and think that all Lutherans would if they learn what we believe, teach, and confess. So visit our website, www.theclcc.org. Check out what we have to offer. Get on our mailing list, or better yet, join us. And maybe encourage your pastor to hold a seminar in your area. Just go to theclcc.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about Psalm 51 as part of our series on the penitential psalms. Pastor Todd Peppercorn is our guest pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, author of the book, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. You can find out how to get a free copy of I Trust When Dark My Road at the Listen On Demand page of our website, issuesetc.org. You write that in order to grasp the full nature of our sin, we cannot just think in terms of our actual sins, but think along the lines that David does in this psalm, where he even hearkens back to his conception in sin. Talk about that, if you would. What great law preaching does, whether we're talking about Nathan or our Lord, thinking the Sermon on the Mount, for example, or today. What great law preaching always does, I think, is going to go from actual sins and are going to make this line to our sinful nature. Um, It's very hard for us as human beings, I think, to kind of wrap our brains around understanding how how sinful we really are, what the sinful nature, how deeply it is embedded into us. Um, that that's almost too much for us to grasp. And and so the way that the law really really comes at it, I believe, is by going at actual sins and that those actual sins drive us and point us toward our sinful nature. That's really what David is talking about in this um in this psalm, especially as we understand the context. When he when he says um says language like, behold, I was, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Think about that in the context of this law that was just preached to him. He, he recognizes in this, in this flash that, yes, these things that I have done are, are sinful, but it goes, it goes deeper than that. This is not just a, uh, this is not simply a habit that I can, that I can break, a series of kind of unrelated events that I've done, and if I only try a little harder, then maybe I'll get better. But David recognizes from the, from the preaching of the law that this, that this goes all the way down, that this goes all the way to when he was, when he was being shaped in his mother's womb, that he is, that he is sinful. Um, but that's what law preaching does. Law preaching goes from the concrete, our actual sins, and then drives us to our concrete nature. And 
and that in the same way, I think in a beautiful sense, also holds up what, what absolution, what forgiveness does. That forgiveness um, forgives actual sins and in the same respect forgives and continues to forgive and continues to pour this salve of the gospel, absolution, the salve of the gospel, onto my onto the sinful sinful nature it drives me back it draws me back to my baptism what's the difference between and i think this is kind of where the rubber meets the road with a lot of christians because they think about these when they've uh, been discovered in a great sin when they've been confronted perhaps with their own sin either from the outside or their conscience just simply won't give them any rest as we talked about many times in this series what's the difference between self-pity and and uh, repentance and confession of sins. Self-pity is really um, another form of of selfishness. Uh, self-pity, I think, and and of course we all we all have self-pity. Self-pity um, is is really another way of of pointing to how uh, how great I am, even if it's how great a sinner I am. There is. There is pride to be had in sin, um, and even the uh, uh, and even the most pious Christian, maybe especially the most pious Christian, can actually take their sin and, in kind of a twisted way, become proud of it. Um, and boy, is that a temptation for for every Christian to uh, to turn our uh, to turn confession into into another way of uh, another way of being prideful. So that's the that's the danger, and that I think I think that a part of why that becomes difficult is because we have so gotten out of the habit of thinking of sin and forgiveness concretely, um, of actually talking, say, talking to your pastor about your sin, and hearing hearing God's word of forgiveness concretely for an actual sin, um, because we don't we just don't think in those categories anymore. Um, it, it allows us to abstract sin, and it allows us to um, to become prideful in it. I don't know if that if that follows or not, or if that makes sense. But uh, that's certainly what I see pastorally. And so, what often happens is that because we don't um, because we don't think of sins, actual sins, uh, as something to be confessed and forgiven. Um, so often what happens is that because we don't think of the little things, when, quote-unquote, the big sin comes along, uh, this is how, this is when Satan, this is when Satan is at work. He tries to take this opportunity to say, oh, well, this is so big, God cannot possibly deal with this. You know, you haven't even confessed the little sins. Why should, why should he be hearing you when it comes to the big sins? And yet that is that is precisely what God does. God God hears the little confessions, quote unquote, the big confessions. It's all it's all sin. It all divides us from God. It all drives us away. And and in God's sight there is no there is no difference. Um but the beauty of of confession and the difference between confession and self pity is that uh confession frees us from these things. Little sins, big sins, it doesn't matter. Um David's confession here, as we see in Psalm 51, was a sort of, um, this was obviously a big sin, aha, on his part, but this also gave him perspective 
to look at and understand his whole life as one of as one of sin and forgiveness. What is the relationship between forgiveness and joy? He says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I'm glad you asked that. Um, probably the most common verses that, the, the best known verses in Psalm 51 is this, uh, is this verse, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Um, the joy of salvation is the joy of forgiveness. This is the joy of hearing and receiving and recognizing and rejoicing in what God gives us in his son, Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. Um, after, uh, after David makes this great confession, uh, I have sinned against the Lord in Second Samuel, Second Samuel 12, uh, 12, 13. The first thing that Nathan says is, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Those are the first words out of Nathan's, out of Nathan's mouth. And so Nathan forgives him. He absolves him. Uh, he then goes on to, uh, to kind of hold up the earthly consequences of David's sin, that the child that will be born of him and Bathsheba is going to die. About 30 seconds here. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so David is given an opportunity to, to recognize, yes, I'm going, to, I'm going to suffer here in this life. I'm going to continue to have kind of earthly consequences and trials as a result of my sin, but I am now right with God. God has now declared me innocent. And so these things will come. They will, they will get better. There is hope. There is joy because God has forgiven me all my sins. Finally then, with only about 30 seconds, we're going to be continuing our series on the penitential Psalms next Thursday on issues, etc. What's on tap for next week? 30 seconds. Next week, we are looking at Psalm, at Psalm 102. We looked at Psalm 32 a couple of weeks ago, talked about hiding in God. In Psalm 102, we're going to hear the psalmist, and he's going to pray that God would not hide from us. It's kind of a different way of looking at long gospel in these psalms. Pastor Todd Peppercorn is pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He's author of the book, I Trust to Endark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. Thank you very much for being our guest. Great. I'll see you next week. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9 with Dr. Andrew Steinman of Concordia University, Chicago. Our Issues Etc. book of the month for March is called The Spirituality of the Cross, The Way of the First Evangelicals. Dr. Gene Edward Reith reflects in there about the nature of the Reformation, its theology, as it continues to be both relevant and vital in the Church's life today. The book is called The Spirituality of the Cross. Find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and ask them about The Spirituality of the Cross by Dr. Gene Edward Veith, The Issues, Etc., Book of the Month for March, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. This Psalm 51 is not just David's, it's ours too. It is ours to pray. It says everything that needs to be said in the hour of confession. And it should be constantly on our lips, committed to memory, constantly on our lips, because this wasn't the only time David sinned. 
What he realized in that moment, that dark moment of confrontation, was who he was as a sinner and how much he needed his God and his Savior. And so do we. I'm Todd Wilkin. Talk with you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Lutheran Public Radio, P.O. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.